0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Ed3 Podcast. This is a special episode, not only a podcast, also a demo with three gents who are helping to build the future of adaptive learning and education. Love talking to these guys because they are not only educators and have experience from the classroom and from tutoring, but they also are under the hood using AI to build the future of what education could be. So let's introduce them. We'll start with the guy I've known the longest, Cortland, why don't you start? And then we'll go to Thomas and Vince. I'm Cortland and I've
1: spent 10 years in the classroom as an English and philosophy teacher and building academic programs and academic departments and using technology in the classroom. And so I met, met my co-founders uh, Thomas and, and Vince and, and Jim as, uh, as internet friends. And we all had, had aligned pedagogical philosophies and interest in emerging tech and so we, uh, we got together under the, under the name Plastic Labs and are about to launch
2: our, our first product.
3: Thomas, give us the quick intro. Scott, thank you for, for having us really excited to share what we've been working on and, and talk sort of big picture about what we think is coming. I came to this space, you know, way back from the tutoring industry. I worked as a tutor for 13 years in New York city. I re, I started and grew my own tutoring company for 10 years, talking with Cortland and Vince about the future of education, thinking about my background and paying attention to the trends in artificial intelligence, like all of these things sort of crystallized into the shared vision and product potential that we saw.
0: And so that's why we're here today. Vince, can you tell us, you gave me a little preview before we started, but you can give us the official version now.
2: My name's Vince. I'm the machine learning engineer on the team. I spent the last four or so years working at Penn State University on our research and development team, building AI and machine learning applications like in-house for the university. And when COVID hit, the support for that team sort of died down and my interest in entrepreneurship sort of took over. And I found my way into the web three space to work as a data scientist on a team at a startup, but ultimately was angling to meet other interested ed tech entrepreneurs. And like Cortland said, internet friends led led to this uh, this team being built and our initial product the
0: bot. Let me throw a few questions out before we dive into it. But... I'm curious, Thomas, with your background. You know what's the problem with tutoring like why do we need to make something new you know is it just scale or is there something actually fundamentally wrong about how we tutor and teach our children
3: yeah i would say the the problem with tutoring is that it's the best learning paradigm actually so and, and that's a problem because it by definition it does not scale so this is famously posed as bloom's two sigma problem which has some research armature to it and measurements of the two sigma deviation and so forth. But it's actually, you know, it's basically common sense that one-on-one attention is what helps students the most and helps lead to outsized academic outcomes. But because it's one-to-one, it's never going to scale. We we just don't have the resources in the educational system as traditionally defined so that every learner can have their dedicated one-to-one tutor. It's something that traditionally is known as like aristocratic tutoring mm-hmm. because that's who could afford it. And even now the cost of high quality tutoring is really high. It's out of reach for the vast majority of the population. And so the our mission is with AI to be able to replicate that experience in a way that can finally scale. Like finally the marginal cost is low enough that you can really go big. And not only that, but A really radical transformation can happen where the scale is a feature, not a bug. The scale is not a problem for the industrial model of education to solve around with big lecture halls or MOOCs or what have you, but the scale actually can generate a data flywheel that can optimize the learning experience in a way that's deliverable to every individual learner in a one-to-one experience for cheap. For, for marginal cost approaching zero, like that's going to be a radically different educational future, we think. And
0: that's, that's the future we're going for. That's amazing. Well, Cortland, I know we've had some conversations and as a uh, philosophy instructor. You've thought a lot about Aristotle. Tell me a little bit about that transition. You know, you've talked to me about the change from one-on-one to industrial to where are we now, right? So just kind of walk me through your thoughts on that um, kind of transition on education at a high level.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting knowing it, you know, in our discussions as a team and team. and building products and, you know, diving into, diving into AI. I think what we've come to realize is that the industrial model of education might just be kind of a blip on the radar in the history of education. We are all normalized to it and we kind of have a status quo bias around it because, because we grew up in it and you know, that's the water that we swim in. But, but if you, if you think historically, Education has been going on for thousands of years and for the vast majority of that, it was something like an Aristotelian Ersteel, tutoring model and it was mentors and mentees. It was small instruction. It was much more fluid, not as siloed as, uh, as we think about education in different rooms and departments and buildings and, and as that process became more formalized, you know, we saw it, you know, you see it widespread, you know, across especially, especially the nobility of Europe, but, but definitely, you know, definitely beyond that, you know, you see, and really because Daisy that's really the only population that's able to afford that, to afford like a dedicated human or student to guide you on your learning journey, to follow you down rabbit holes, to make sure that you're interested and invested in your learning, to, you know, you know, to explore. You know wherever that journey takes you but you know as as we uh, you know in with the rise of um with the rise of industry with the rise of democracy and 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 more wealth we needed to we needed stale education right we needed to increase literacy we needed to you know give everyone access to a basic education not only so they could participate in an industrial economy but so that we should have things like functioning democracies and institutions and you know all the things that we need for like the trappings of our society. The way that you do that, right, is that you, you know, you try to bundle a lot of what you know, an Aristotelian tutor would do into, you know, into institutions and into individual teachers that then serve, you know, then serve greater populations, right? So you apply, you know, like principles of division of labor and, and economies of scale, and when you, you know, now you have, you know, now, now you can service a lot more students with a lot fewer people. And so you're able to scale education that way. The problem is you sacrifice quality because obviously you're not getting that kind of individualized attention. Doesn't mean there isn't great education and great tutoring and teaching and all that going on doesn't mean that there are great massive online courses too, but you know, you really lose that substantive intimate, you know, human connection. You, you lose massive amounts of personalization and all those things that we know reliably produce rare minds. And you trade that for, for a much more homogenized, homogenized format. And so if you, if you think sp- about it, that's only a few hundred years, right. In in history and you know, what Thomas is talking about finally being able to scale quality as well, you know, finally being able to return to an individualized model where you can have quite high quality instruction. And, you know, in the beginning as a supplement to our current, you know, educational system, that that's, that's a radical shift, right? We haven't seen that before. And, and I think I would just tack onto that, the generative AI, you know, makes that possible. It's not just the marginal cost of compute, which Thomas talked about, but it's also the fact that, you know, that, that every interaction with these systems is, is personalized and that they can build a model of you as a learner, and they can remember, remember you as a student and know what you're into and apply those things. And actually they can build, you know, really excellent teachers, right. Build really good models of students in the classroom. They know their history, they know their interests, they know their needs, they know all of those things. And as much as they can, they're going to try to tailor that experience. But obviously they're limited by, you know, the time that they have, right. And the class size and the amount of students and the content material and all that, but, you know. This generation of AI can do that can can do that actually with with even higher fidelity than than an expert teacher, right? And and then deliver that deliver that to the student reliably. You know, we're not one hundred percent there yet, right? Like expert teachers and tutors are still really important, but we're getting to a place where we can be an extremely high quality supplement, one that teachers and tutors can put a lot of faith in, parents and students too.
0: Well, that that was going to be my next question. Maybe I'll throw to you, Vince, is like. You know, I love the idea of going back to, I can talk to Aristotle and have help, right? But what we're missing, I think what a lot of pushback would be is, yeah, but it's with a screen, not a human, right? And we we still aren't scaling that human relationship. So I'm curious, like Corlin just kind of alluded to some of the ways that you maybe solve that technically, but how do you kind of think about that gap of this is personal, but it has some elements maybe that an individual or human tutor would bring, or is it the it's better because they remember more and they don't have stuff going on in their own lives and they can come, they're always on time or, you know, like maybe, maybe it's better, right? So here's how you think about that. And especially for folks like Thomas, before he got into the tech space, you know, who are tutors and would say, this this isn't as good as me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
2: I remember actually like talking about this with my, my mother. And she brought up a really good story that I had kind of forgotten about. It's like when we, we like used to live in like the inner city of Pittsburgh and then we moved out to the suburbs. And like, obviously like there were like much better schools out in the suburbs. And my mom was worried that we were all going to be like behind. And it turned out like me and my immediate, like closest youngest sister were fine. It was my, my youngest sister, who's about four years younger, that was like super behind and really like behind on math. And for like one summer, my mom brought her over to one of our teachers' houses and like dropped her off for an hour and they would study. And she reminded me that. Like my little sister liked it so much because this teacher had three beautiful golden retrievers. And like she like had this positive association with like going over there and getting tutored. And I was like, yeah, we we certainly can't compete with that. Right. So like play a you, different you game. Puppy is always a win, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's informed a lot of our like like strategic decision making around and and like philosophy around like our Gotham. So Bloombot is built like around and for Discord. And discord by nature is quite social and it sort of has its roots in, in gaming. And so when we think about things that are important to us, especially like when you think about how this gets distributed amongst students, you know, we don't want to have that association with like, oh, this is like a stuffy academic tool that my teachers are like making us use. It's like, we're like much more interested in going the route of like, it'd be cool if like Bloombach could make a reference to like a game you're playing that it knows just cause you're a part of that server. Like it can make that leap to relate it to your content, you know, it makes it much more, uh, personable, like enjoyable, social, you know, you're never going to be able to like give BloomBot the ability to like bring puppies over to your house. Right. But you can do like the next best thing by, by getting it to actually have some idea of what your true interests are, you know, outside the classroom.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. It's great momentum here as we, as we're going to look at the tool in just a sec. So. Maybe the last question I'll throw to you, Thomas, and then we'll, we'll yeah. go into the demo with Cortland is, you know, there's the, the Matthew effect in ed tech, right? Where like, as we come up with new technological advances, it actually helps people who already have access and already have means. And, you know, tutors is probably a great example where like tutors work really well and the people who can afford them are probably already doing pretty well. So they just get, the disparity gets bigger. So I'm curious how you think about that with generative AI and with with, with what you're building. How does, how do you use it in a way that if it's not leveling the playing field, at least like positively benefits everyone in, in an equal way. And, and is that even possible? You know?
3: Yeah, I think one, one way that I think about this is that before anything can be evenly distributed, it has to be unevenly distributed. That's just, the, mm-hmm. that's nature. And so, but the, but the main point is that, that we think that this, this field and, and particularly what we're building is going to radically grow the addressable market for tutoring because the, mar- the, the drop in cost is gonna be two to three orders of magnitude. In some cases, four orders of magnitude. The capabilities are gonna grow while the costs rank. That doesn't happen for a human, you know? And so the, we wanna be really conscientious about, about even access, but it's, there's no question that this is the best shot we've ever had at delivering this caliber of experience in a way that's truly democratic, that could truly be accessible, to everybody it's it would it's going to be a fraction of a penny per minute if not maybe even cheaper easily subsidized by existing funds hopefully eventually easily deployable on the basic internet connected hardware there's just no you know if if you have another solution that you think has that potential we'd love to hear it but we really think that it's it's generative ai and um i will say one two I think this is a bit piggybacking on your last question but like, we, we don't think that AI will replace humans in education at all, but it will free humans to do more of what humans can uniquely do. And one thing that I've learned a lot from Cortland talking to him about managing his classroom is that a lot of the difficulty for teachers stems from throwing up the learning needs of students. And so the sort of administrative needs and the pedagogical need, those are one problem. And if you, and as always, you start with a student, if they're learning well, if they're engaged and they're showing up to class, then the teacher's job just got 10 times easier. A lot of the top-down mumbo-jumbo goes out the window. Students are happier, results are better. And like the human element actually sort of rises to the top of the
0: experience rather than being substituted by software and a screen. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Well. Let's take a look at it. And I think it'd be fun to kind of see it in action here and we can talk and ask some more questions over it and get into some of the technical details. So Corlin, maybe you can share your screen if that's the right, right person and you can kind of give me a, give me a great use case. You know, what do you kind of imagine someone logging in using this? Where are they? What are they kind of working on? How old are they? You can kind of give me the story. So we can see we're talking about this story passage civil disobedience
1: and, and once you set the context, the, the bot is identifying that and starting a conversation. So you can see I'm, I'm interacting with the button along the way.
0: Tell me like, like who's using this? So I'm in high school civics class, maybe, or English. And my teacher says, we're all going to go on our computers and basically dive into this on our own. Is that kind of how you're thinking about this? Or I'm at home studying, doing my homework. Like tell me kind of how you would imagine this use case going.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think both options are on the table and more, you know, right now we do feel like the, the, the capabilities of generative large language models are in a place where they're ideal for literacy instruction at the secondary, late secondary and early undergrad literacy level. But, you know, there's a lot, there's a huge range right, right there, but, but generally it, it excels in, in that place right now. So those are the students that we have in mind. And right now we're thinking about literacy students, you know, You could use this in a lot of ways right now, this is a, this is a reading comprehension tool, but starting to be adding lots more functionality to support, you know, the literacy journey. But we might imagine that a student is, a student is using this at home to get a better sense of their reading. Maybe they're prepping for a quiz or a test, maybe. They're gaining a deeper understanding of a text, so that they can come to class discussion tomorrow, or so that they can scope out some ideas for a paper. I think if you're using it in a classroom, right, you might use it in a lot of the same way that you would with small group work around a text, right? You know, pairing kids off and, and having them interact with the bot in a in a group setting to to explore to explore the material. Like yes, Thomas I'm said, not like, don't. I just
0: because I know you, I see you're in a one-on-one session. So, would the like you're saying you could potentially do this with a small group of of students who are all on one chat platform or would you have like a group chat kind of effect where they're all on their own platform talking to each other plus the bot
1: yeah i think you can do both you know Mm -hmm. we can do it where they're all participating equally in the conversation and you know the bottom blue is just, is just, uh, is responded to or messaged when, you know, when needed or to whatever degree is needed. We can also do much more independent sessions. So I think any of that, any of that works. But our, what we really have in mind with regard to students and their work in classrooms, kind of what, what Thomas alluded to is, you know, every teacher knows they don't have time to do all the things that they would want to do. It, you know, if they imagine their perfect class and what they would do each day, there's just a lot of work that, that has to go into, to prep for that, right? When, if you're, if you're working on reading comprehension in the classroom, at any given time, you can only be teaching to one, you know, one segment of that section and the rest might be engaged or not, or learning or, or not. I think what a lot of teachers certainly me, what, what we would really want to do is, you know, have these really substantive discussions where everyone comes confident and prepared, have debate. Of writing workshops, right? And you know, and we see this as a tool that can that can help level the playing field of literacy, with even within a class, and hopefully allow some of that to happen outside the classroom or in different contexts, so that the IRL IRL stuff is actually really optimized for what works in real life. What worked best in the classroom, taking out taking out a lot of a lot of the stuff that often gets to the
0: way. Yeah. So, kind of technically, just thinking from a user perspective, I I would have a Discord account myself. And then would I install this bot or am I joining a class server on Discord and then doing stuff there? How's that kind of just work technically?
1: Yeah, right now, right now we have a, a Bloom server and, and classrooms and students and teachers that we're working with for our for early demos are, you know, we'll have spaces for each of those, but then they, that server is also open, you know, to anyone, anyone to join and try out. And... We talked about this being social and we think that a lot of discovery is going to happen when lots of students get in there and start playing around with it together. And I think we're going to discover a lot of utility that we, you know, that we okay. didn't expect kind of like, kind of like a, you see with a tool like mid journey in discord. Yeah, totally eventually, though, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. And eventually we'll want to, you know, eventually we'll have direct message functionality and, and, you know, being able to add it to your classroom
0: server and things like that. So Vince, just to kick it to you. I'm curious, I know a lot of times with these AI tools, you have system prompts, right? Khan Academy launched their kind of tutor bot and they basically programmed it. So it's always asking questions, not really giving answers to try to spur the students. I'm curious how you think about that and how you've gone about that with, with Bloom.
2: Yeah. So we're taking that a couple steps further and it's sort of core to like how we're, how we're thinking differently. Cortland and Thomas have done a good job of sort of outlying how teachers are building these like meta cognitive models of their entire, like every student in their classroom at any given time. And now we have the opportunity to sort of like scale that and, and in turn, like the scale improves the quality, which engages this flywheel. So, and like most of the demos that we've seen so far are focused on this concept of steerability, which we kind of fundamentally like sit like aside like adjacent to the way we think about it is more so like you can, if you can elicit this pedagogical behavior from these models, then that ultimately is going to help, help the model be much more adaptive in these situations because you're, you're not steering, you're eliciting. So when we think about it, we're the way, the way it works now, is it employs this technique of meta prompting. And, and to be clear, like we're not, we haven't even trained our own models yet. This is all sort of like just prompting techniques from using open AI models. But the, the idea with meta prompting is like, oftentimes you want your models to perform some, some task, but the space of tasks can be arbitrary and large. So you give it guidelines to sort of how to it generate its own directions to follow. And that is the pedagogical reasoning. So these two wonderful co-founders of mine have spent countless hours with me iterating on the types of prompts that they want to, to inform the model to generate and it will generate its own pedagogical reasoning and use that as direction to take, to generate the tutoring response. And that has worked wonders for putting for eliciting true pedagogical behavior that will satisfy these two guys, 20 plus years of combined experience.
3: This is probably a good time to, to also talk about your question about the setting, whether it's group, whether it's server, whether it's a bot, whether it's DMS, because one thing that that we, we're thinking long-term with the approach that Vince described is that this bot develops an understanding of the individual student needs and it remembers those student needs and it can retain them and apply them across setting and across time. So if you get used to the bot, if you have a group chat with the bot and a good discussion and then you're in a private setting, ultimately the like Bloom will remember what you needed to focus on in the class. And that's what will guide its interactions with you one on one. And then, you if you talk to Bloom the next day, it's going to remember what you learned yesterday. It has basically a rank ordered list of your needs for for improvement, and it's always evaluating its outputs and your inputs to make sure that you're targeting your literacy needs. Um, and we and hope it could to bring be even that, more you know,
0: more subtle than that, right? Where you could be like, remind me in two weeks to to review my math. Yeah. Right. It wouldn't even have to this be is so, so intense. <laughs> right.
3: Yeah. You know, we talk about this a lot, but a big part of a successful tutoring relationship is that sort of organizational executive function, metacognitive work that helps students be on top of their work, focus, remember what they need to, fo- you know, we need to do. And that's all, not only is that something on our roadmap, but a lot of those are actually the solved problems. And this pedagogical reasoning piece that Vince described, that was not a solved problem
0: until. Until until we thought it, that's amazing. It's so powerful. And am I right that are you kind of going off of the GPT four limitations? So basically, anything before twenty twenty two is going to be fair game. Or how weird can we get? Like, is my personal ebook that I published ten years ago something that we can talk about in class, or do I have to upload that like directly somehow?
2: The chances of it being included are pretty slim, likely. But that um, really hurts I me. Mean, you never know. I mean, like they probably <laughs> went to like far, far corners of the internet to build their dataset, very but, far. and you should certainly go in there and test it out. See if it recognizes I paste in a passage without like any sort of like identifying information and see if it says, oh, wow, this is a wonderful passage from Scott Meyer. Yeah. So in its current like prototype stage right now, it operates on you bringing your own text and it's limited in the amount of text you can, but those problems are like just engineering, like lifts to be able to take in different type, like different lengths. You can get very creative on the back end with how you like ingest and and query across like large corpuses of text. So since the goal of the prototype was to demonstrate our ability to elicit true sound pedagogical reasoning. Like that's, that's a, a a bottleneck of the prototype, but there's been an incredible boom in software development around these large language model API endpoints. And one of those open source efforts that's been like instrumental in the construction of BloomBot is this package called LangChain, at LangChain AI on Twitter. They only started developing in like early November when GPT or ChatGPT came out, but they have since added so many different capabilities, proven that like You can, you can build so many different affordances around giving the models memory, working with the current limitations of like what the context windows on these models are, hooking them up to different API endpoints to like allow them to answer their own questions and improve their factualness, their groundedness, improve their safety, all of these different things. It's like you, the idea of relying on the pre-trained language models as like all knowing arbiters of the world are, are gone They're they're efficient dialogue engines. And if they can produce dialogue efficiently, then they can interact with many different tools. They can answer a bunch of questions for themselves. They can self-correct like you can build in interest, like really interesting affordances to help it like remember it, like solve its own problems, you can get very creative with it.
0: That's awesome. Well, let's do one business question, then we'll kind of go to an apply level. So maybe I'll throw this one to Thomas, but just where are you kind of at? What do you guys need? Are you trying to raise money? Are you trying to get users? How can someone listening to this who's interested test it out and, and help you out?
3: Yeah. Yeah. really appreciate that question. We have two main objectives now in business perspective. And one is getting this in front of students, ideally in classrooms, because we want Like we, like Cortland said, we're trying to experience like from, from today to what we think is the future of education teachers are going to be a big part of that. So getting that sort of the product market hypothesis testing, being, getting student feedback so we can tailor it further to what students and teachers need. And two is we are talking to investors for a pre-seed round. We're very mission driven company to your earlier question about making sure that this is a democratically accessible tool, like that's our North star. And so we're going to be a little bit picky about who we let on our cap table because we're conscientious about the way the incentives play out. But we are having those conversations. So if there are pre-seed investors or angels who
0: believe in that mission and and are excited about what we're building, I'd absolutely love to talk to them. I'd love to hear your perspectives on what does education look like in sort of the next medium term, if we think, you know, two to five years out, whether it's because of Bloom, other people in the space. I mean, it's moving so quickly that I think it's hard for educators to maybe wrap their mind around what their job looks like in the, in the medium term. And I know Cortland we've talked about, you know, maybe it's less being teacher and more being a coach, right? And so there's new skill development, but would be curious kind of where you see all of this playing out both specifically with Bloom and then generally in the, in the ecosystem. My hope would be that
1: these tools are, are are used as a supplement for all the constituencies involved, right? And they can enhance the subjective learning experience or the subjective teaching experience, or, you know, you know, even administrative experience of everybody involved in, you know, the entire educational landscape. There can be strong reactions to like new technologies and and things moving, moving this fast, but hopefully we won't miss the opportunity because certainly There are problems that need to be solved. And certainly like these tools can be used in, you know, idea in, in ways that aren't like pedagogically optimized, but it's our mission to, to provide a tool and a solution that, you know, that can grow in this way. That's my major, my major hope because. And, and hopefully the downstream effect of that is that there's less, you know, maybe there's less obsession or anxiety or worry or stress around, around just results, you know, especially on standardized assessment, that kind of thing. I mean, certainly those, those things still have a role to play, but if we could start focusing much more on student experience, student confidence, like, you know, if, if every student could, could, could have the confidence to know that they can learn anything whenever they want, then, you know, that's that. And I, I think it's possible in the near medium term, and that would be like a, a revolution in education.
2: So many people, I think they go through school and they have like amazing teachers. And it, that's sort of like an exception, like to the rules. Right, world. you remember your teachers.
0: Teachers so teachers, yeah?
2: Exactly. <laughs> yeah, You remember them, and like it's it's Fair. like everybody has those teachers. It's like I'd I'd love for this to create an opportunity for more teachers to become to, to like create those types of relationships and those impacts on on students because they've they've been freed of this like this this meta modeling that we're that we've been talking about.
0: Thomas, last word. Anything to add about that? Yeah, or Cortland's comments really are clarifying for me right now
3: is how much some of these tools are going to force the issue that the institutions have to adapt to the tools delivered to students, like ChatGPT, for example. And they're scared. But I think that's going to be a really wonderful thing because I think that the students, like the educational system generally hasn't been student-centered for a really long time. And so between like excellent educational experiences that they can uh, that they can access outside of the classroom for close to free between writing tools that allow them to generate crazy wonderful without the a taskmaster telling them what to do and how to do it all the time not to mention just like the amount of information available that from internet from before like there's a there's an opportunity for students to take the reins of their learning in a big way and for the educational systems to have to adapt to cultivate that in a way that really centers them, including the teachers, all the administrators. I think that there's that, there's, that sort of student empowerment is really exciting uh, to think about and and to, to hopefully play a part in. Just tell me quick the
0: website where people can go learn more and potentially get on the wait list. The best site is bloombot.ai. Perfect. Awesome. Awesome. And, well, uh, so no, you'll, go ahead. You'll, you'll see there get in the discord if <laughs> you'll see it on the site but that's uh, we'd love to have you well that's the amazing part right i i even think about that with the journey is like you can essentially bootstrap off someone else's infrastructure like you don't need the website and payments and you know it's like it's truly the promise maybe of web3 that i know a lot of us have been in which is the lego blocks where we can interoperably build together and I love seeing that you're doing this and I'm sure other people will hopefully learn from this conversation and probably have questions and how they can add to what you're building too so well I appreciate all you jumping on for this conversation you can learn more at their website and we'll see you soon on the Ed3 podcast